Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week, we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week, we watched X-Men Dark Phoenix, directed by Simon Kinberg and released in 2019. The plot of X-Men Dark Phoenix goes something like this. During a life-threatening mission in space, Jean Grey is hit by a cosmic force that transforms her into one of the most powerful mutants of all. And as we usually do, we'll do a bit of a spoiler-free section up front to tell you whether we think you should see this movie. So, Katie? I mean, if you want to. It's definitely not as bad as I thought it was going to be, um, because there's just some really solid bones in this particular X-Men franchise, and it's kind of hard to, to really screw it up. It just wasn't great. Like, it's it's a saga contained in one movie, which means that it's A, doesn't have a lot of build-up and is not set up particularly well, and B, it feels really one note, like everything is on the same emotional level the whole time. And that, I think, was maybe the most, like, the biggest problem with it. There are definitely other problems with it. It's got a weak script, and some of the actors' hearts are not in it and or are not good actors. But um, I think the biggest problem with it for me is that there's not enough variation in like the tension or like the emotion that we're expected to be feeling everything is just the same level the whole way through so it's kind of it just gets frustrating and there's not really a break yeah i think it's one for the x-men franchise had contracted to do one more film and so they're doing one more film and it retreads old ground obviously these films don't have any kind of respect for their own continuity um yeah it's fine but it's also not good like, I think there's some good actors not playing Jean Grey who um, carry this very well, like Fassbender and McAvoy and Jennifer Lawrence and Nicholas Holt are all, like, fantastic actors. But that also means that Sophie Turner, who's, like, technically it's her story, and she's not as strong as they are. It's not – she doesn't feel like she's carrying her own movie, even though the whole movie's about her. But also, yeah, that stuff you pointed out about all being the same emotional tone is also – really annoying like I want there's no sense of like taking you on a journey or and there's no break for the audience it's just kind of this dramatic sadness darkness no parents kind of stuff all the way through and it's yeah but yeah you it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be either which is I guess the highest praise we can come up with yeah I mean I'm definitely going to highlight some good things when we go into the spoiler stuff along with some of the bad things but Hmm. it just is very like, I sort of realized every so often that I hadn't been paying attention for an entire scene. Yeah. I just wasn't really paying that much attention to what was going on in the movie. Like, it it wasn't holding my attention. And I think that's because of that lack of, like, it's not a roller coaster. No. <laughs> it's just so I, a really long drop. I got Yeah, I got a bit bored and sleepy as well, but I, I was blaming it on being nearly eight months pregnant. But maybe it was also that I was struggling to hold my attention the whole way through. Mm. But, you know, it is it is what it is. I guess if you're into the X-Men franchise, you'll see it anyway. And if you're not, maybe skip it, I guess. All right. Uh, so let's go into spoilers. If you haven't seen X-Men Dark Phoenix and you plan to, uh, turn off the podcast now and come back when you have. Yeah. So um, what I want to say about this movie is it, it sort of starts exploring some interesting themes and concepts, but it doesn't actually follow through on them. And to me, one of the most interesting themes and concepts that it doesn't follow through on is the idea of Charles Xavier's moral grayness, yeah. where like he is 
you know, his Dumbledorean Machiavellian sort of uh, mm. side of his personality where he will manipulate things to mm. try and do what he thinks is best. Yeah. I think that's that was actually some of the more interesting stuff to me, which where it kind of gets they, – they, the other characters try to hold him to account for his behaviour and try to make him recognise what he's doing. And it also kind of – you also see how – Charles sort of takes in children and all very young mutants and wants to mold them. And when they become adults and their own people, he finds that very, very difficult to cope with. Yeah. And that sense of wanting to control all the time is sort of seems to be fundamental to him. And yeah, I think that is a really interesting theme that runs through this. Yeah. I also think they could have um, addressed all of that in a much better way, but yeah. they did not. They kept, like when they talk about trying to, you talk about trying to hold him to account, what they do is just like confront, confront, confront. And they're like, what did you do? Confess what you did. And you're like, well, why don't you try and talk to him about it instead of just going, what did you do? Tell yeah. me, tell me that I'm right. Like, it yeah. doesn't, yeah. You know, talk through things. I mean, but that could be handled better by a better screenwriter, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, the idea is there. And the thing is, it would be really interesting, especially with James McAvoy in that role. I mean, Patrick Stewart also great in that role. But um, because you can push him really far into doing things that are morally gray without him being unlikable. Mm. He has this real natural likability about him that works in the character's favor. So, like, you – still kind of root for him even though you know he was doing the wrong thing so they could really push that yeah and do something interesting with it yeah he he's so good as well like um james mcavoy and there's a scene with him and nick holt starts a confrontation with him that is that seems to be going somewhere interesting and then kind of gets let off and yeah but beast was so i don't know i mean i don't think he did a bad job but like I found the character. I found it really frustrating that okay. So uh, the big event in this movie, really, the central like event that happens apart from Jean absorbing the Phoenix Force, mm. is um, her killing Raven, mm. right? Which was just kind of frustrating, honestly. Like Jennifer, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence's Raven deserved better than that. The way she goes out, but then it turns the rest of the movie into this i'm gene's boyfriend well we were raven's boyfriends so we all hate each other now thing where yeah. the boys are just fighting over the girls which is really it's gross so and annoying bad especially because uh, jennifer lawrence has a really on the nose line earlier about the women rescuing the men all the time and then the whole rest of the movie is like oh, silly girls now now the real men will step in and like oh but it's not just that like it's it's the boys don't help they just all fight each other mm-hmm. uh, up back in the background until you know charles goes in and saves the day mm. but um most of the time they're just kind of like fighting each other over the girls that they like like the yeah. the moral center of it doesn't seem to have anything to do with it whereas like the previous thing has been about Charles's morality versus Eric's morality. Like the the core of X Men is the you know um, Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X, like civil um, civil rights fight. Mm. But this movie reduces that to fighting over girls. Yeah, and I don't like that. That's really annoying. Yeah, it is. And in a movie that doesn't make much good use of that. Like Jennifer Lawrence clearly didn't want to be in these movies anymore and she was contractually obliged to. So it sort of makes sense to kill her off, but it also takes away one of the few people in the movie who's actually got a real spark about them that's actually giving the movie some life. Yeah, and she moved between both worlds with some interesting ideas of her own. Yeah. There's another really weird thing going on in terms of motivation of characters in this movie. Like, so that scene where Raven 
um, dies, she is trying really hard to show um, Jean that she loves her. I keep going Sansa. Um, Jean that she loves her and, like, you know, being yeah. really, really kind to her and showing that she's not giving up on her. And then Jean kills her. And then Jean's like, nobody loves me and everybody abandons me. And you're like, what? That's literally not what we saw, like, two scenes earlier. Mm-hmm. And then the scene before, after that was her being, like, concerned that she was going to hurt everybody, not angry with everybody for like it doesn't she just like vacillates through this movie with no consistency and no logic to like any of her actions exactly i mean she has every right to be angry and stuff but then also when she's like oh you know charles lied to me and then she goes to scott she's like scott you lied to me and i'm about everything and i'm like about what he didn't lie to you about anything in this movie. There's no point in which he lied to you in this movie. No. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and the movie is resolved ultimately because they're her family and she, you know, wants to save them and, and she, so she does the right thing because they're still there for her. But, like, that's obvious through the whole movie. They're always still there for her. There's always someone standing up to help her. Well, no, because she's away from them for most of the time. She doesn't is, but, know that they're trying to help her. But. Sure, but like every time she sees them or interacts with them, other than the confrontation with Magneto, she gets supported wherever she, whenever she comes back to them. Yeah, and I mean, obviously going to Magneto for support is not going to work. That's yeah. not the character that he is. No, no. But yeah, it, it's so silly and it's so like we want to keep these guys the good guys and stuff. So. Yeah, no, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah, it is exhausting. It's and it makes exhausting. her look it makes her look irrational and silly. Like it makes her look like a hysterical woman. Yeah, and it doesn't fix. Like um X3, which is widely considered to be the worst of the X-Men franchise covers this as well. This te- same territory of Jean Grey going Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't improve on that. Literally all I remember from that is like when she's trying to flay everybody alive and when she tries to flay Wolverine alive but his pants stay on. That's all I remember. Isn't there also I'm the Juggernaut bitch? Isn't that from that movie? It is. Yeah. No, I'm I'm talking about the the Dark Phoenix bit. Of oh, it. right. Yeah, yeah. Like all I remember from that that that, line, that movie also has the line Charles always wanted to build bridges, so she kills Charles in that movie. Yeah, but I like, remember. But all I remember from like her going Dark Phoenix and them trying to stop her is her trying to flay Wolverine alive and like his pants stay on, and you're like, wow, <laughs> he must have adamantium pants on because there's no way. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but that movie was is didn't do a great job of it. And neither did this one. Uh, it, honestly, I, I think it's because Jean Grey, like, they cast Jean Grey as a side character early on and the actresses aren't really up to, like, leading the – carrying the movie or carrying the part of the movie that they need to carry. Like, if Jean Grey was, like, an actress with, you know, Jennifer Lawrence or even Jessica Chastain levels of acting ability or ability was, to carry a movie. I was just thinking Jessica Chastain. She's in this completely yeah. wasted. Like, why not make her – yeah, like someone who's that level of talented and who can carry a movie, but like Sansa Stark isn't like that. She's she's perfectly serviceable, but she's not someone who's carrying this. I feel like she's trying. She is, and like then she's not a bad actor, but she's also not up to carrying this. No. Whereas like there's a whole there's she's not even the first build person in this movie, right? Fifth build, she, I think. Yeah, and um there are five actors off the top of my head who are in this movie who are better at carrying it than her, which is McAvoy, Fa- McAvoy, Fassy, Jennifer Lawrence, Nick Holt and Jessica Chastain. Mm. At least. And then there's others like Cody Smith McPhee who are really um I think really good mm. and engaging in in a supporting role um and 
I think it's is it Evan Peters who plays Quicksilver yeah. in these? Yeah, he's Who's also barely really good. in it. They he's barely in it, but they as, really underuse him in this film, which I, I kind of don't mind because they do use Kurt and Storm quite a bit, who are great characters. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, Evan, if you're playing Storm as well, is better than um, Alexandra Ship. She's yeah. in uh, Love Simon as well. And there's a shot of her early in the movie where I was like, wow, she looks like Halle Berry in that shot. Yeah, but, but I, I, she's very. I actually think Alexander Ship is really good in this. I think she did a good job too. Yeah. And those are, I mean, to me, like Kurt is my favorite X Man. Nightcrawler is my favorite X Man. I find him really interesting. But a lot of people also love Storm, and yeah. they were actually pretty good in this. And she had some interesting lines in this that, again, went mm. completely unexplored. Um, yeah, well, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, there was a bit where um, Kurt, where um, Kurt and Charles had a scene in the, the New York fight, where Charles says. Kurt, are you okay? And Kurt says, no. And Charles says, get me inside. Like, that was just a really good character moment mm. for both of those people. Like, Kurt admitting that he needed help and wasn't coping with this battle and Charles going, fuck it, we need you. Mm. Like, th- there were some really good little bits in here. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, there's a there's an interesting <laughs> – I think Kurt goes through a character journey in this film that is not vocalized or written particularly well – but man, Cody Smith McPhee is really trying, which is, mm. um, Kurt is pretty notorious for not wanting to hurt people. Yeah. Um, he's, it's one of his sort of famous character traits is that he doesn't like being involved in the direct fighting too much. And he tends to be the guy who, like, like we see in this, tends to, you know, take the fighters in and out of the fight and yeah. be more of a transport person yes. than be a fighter. And then they, <laughs> They do this whole, like, by Grabthar's hammer thing where, like, they, there's this minor character who's like, I had ki- I have kids who used to be fans of yours. And then he, for some reason, decides he likes this guy and then he tries to save him, but he's already dead. Mm. And then he goes, like, full rage battle mode. Yeah. That you know it's only because they didn't want to kill any more of the major characters that they did that. But he really tries to carry that. And, like, he, he makes this transformation from, like, a scared kid sort of character to, like, you know, that grinning kind of manic, angry yeah. thing that he has going on in that fight. And I was like, I got chills when I watched that fight because I was like, oh, there's something really cool going on here. But they don't give it any time or space to develop, which no, really sucks. It's not even a long movie. It's an hour, 53 minutes or so. There is a- This is actually a movie that could do with some breathing space. And I guess with X3, at least they tried to make Dark Phoenix wasn't the only thing going on. I mean – it was a mess but it of a has movie to be the only thing going on. It's yeah, but the, the problem is there is there's like too little to carry the movie and then also like all these interesting side things that could make it better. True. I think the reason that it's too little to carry the movie is because they haven't built it. Mm. Like it should build up for a long time and it's it come sh- from nowhere. Yeah, it comes from nowhere. And we don't get a good sense of the like battle going on in Jean because <laughs> again, it's like one minute she's fine. Yeah. And the next minute she's all rage monster. There's no clear clear delineation or clear moment when there's a switch between her and the dark phoenix force thing. Mm-hmm. We don't really get a sense of like I think in the I I think in the comics it's not so much that the force itself is positive or negative. It's the, like, self-doubt that it enhances in her. Yeah. But in this movie, it really made it seem like there was – no, there was something else controlling her. It and actually, then at the end, she controls it. And and the comics also benefit from us knowing the character over a period of time. And there's no sort of time where we get to know Jean. Like, sure, we 
we've seen her in previous movies, but we don't really have any, don't really spend any time with her getting to know who she is, like being specific about her powers and the way her her powers work and what her weaknesses are. Like we really don't get into that before we get into transforming into Dark Phoenix. I mean, we get a little of it, but she's also not interesting. Like if she was more interesting, I think it would work better. But, um, I mean, that it could be that that's the problem, but I still fully don't fully understand her powers. And right. you definitely don't fully understand your power, her powers just having watched this movie. Like it's not you can't sort of watch it as a standalone Jean Grey movie. No, and she doesn't. I think I think she doesn't understand her powers either. Well, yeah. Um, well, that's another issue, I guess. And they go with like the most stock standard like introduction scene for her and her yeah. powers is like she caused a car crash. Her mom died. Yeah. Gasp. Yeah. Like, oh, I've never seen that before. No. God <laughs> forbid a superhero, <laughs> his parents die and, he, and they couldn't save them. I mean, literally, I was like, oh, we saw this earlier this year in Shazam. Mm. It was the uh, the supervillain introduction scene. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's, it's you know, only a hop, skip and a jump remove from Batman. Like, it's very common. Yeah. The one that always sticks in my mind is um in uh, Hellboy. Liz Sherman's origin story is that she accidentally set a fire that killed her parents mm. and killed her whole family. But yeah, that's sort of been the core of the X-Men kind of stuff for a long time. Yeah. I mean, look at Rogue back when she was a thing. Mm. Um, she like put her boyfriend in a coma. Yeah, so. exactly. And that's like the core of X-Men stories. And it, it should be something that you could explore with Jean Grey. And they just don't do it very well. No. It is uh, – it's also – pretty one note and like a lot of nobody understands me fight uh. scene nobody understands me fight scene you yep. missed the best fight scene by the way which is um when Jean goes to eric's hippie commune on an island which still like it's it's so much cognitive dissonance for oh, me well, it was because con- there's also the guy who greets her who i just i don't know his name i call him with my hair back and forth he's andrew stillman is is the actor he's got broad new zealand accent which i wasn't expecting either and i was like wait what? And so it's really incongruous to find Eric on this like South Pacific island in a hippie commune. We don't pe- know if well, it's, it's a South it's Pacific. It's an island, yeah. which is basically being run as a hippie commune. And there's a New Zealander there, which only through me, like it probably only throws like an audience that recognizes a New Zealand accent straight off. But yeah, it was a very strange place to find Eric, even though we totally, I totally understand why Eric would seek out a place that is um, abandoned, not abandoned, um, isolated. And he's obviously like mutants come to him and things like that. It was still sort of weird to find him in this tropical paradise. The character's name is Ariki. Thank you. And he has dreadlocks that – Yeah. So – but, yeah, and then they have a conversation that goes exactly as you might expect it would go between these two characters. And then they have a fight, which I – yeah, I needed to go to the bathroom, so I just had to get out. But I, I think I was also a bit bored, to be honest. I it was like was waiting for a fight. But so then tell me about this best fight scene that so I missed. what happens is there's a couple of helicopters full of army people that have landed on Eric's Island Paradise, and um, he stops the two helicopters – and then one of them starts up again and the army soldier person is like, stop that. And he's like, it's not me. And then Jean comes down and she's like, it's me. Um, and like, and then she and Eric basically just hold one hand out. So she holds one hand out at the helicopter and then he holds one hand out at the helicopter to try and control it. And then he can't control it. So he holds his other hand out at it. And then she holds her other hand out at it. And then they sort of grunt and concentrate really hard at the helicopter. It's like, 
it really shows up the uh, I missed the, a lot the silliness of what that looks like when it's just two people intensely holding their hands out at things. Yeah, and Fassbender like there's there's a later um the train scene later on. Fassbender's like doing all kinds of flippy things with his hands, like mm. moving bits of metal around, and it's actually quite cool. Yeah, that that's what I mean. Like you can make it look cool. Like when he flip when they're in the train later and he's crushed the car and then he turns around and sort of flips it away over his shoulder, mm. which is such a magneto move yeah yeah like and and there's moments there it, it, i'm just thinking about when he's in the train car and he's like confines one of the one of the bad guys with like metal doors and mm. he's just moving bits of metal around and and it made me think of like that the patrick stewart acting gif i was like he's putting his heart and soul into this like he's doing this on a on a green screen he doesn't actually have the bits of metal there and he's like he really is pushing and flicking his wrist in certain ways yeah mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's just Waving your hands at a helicopter. No, no, really intense, like, hands. Intense hands at a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just did a jazz hand. Yeah, it's just really funny to watch them, like, really intensely hold their hands out at stuff. Yeah, um, I know. As a fight scene, it's really funny. And that's why movies like this actually benefit from, you know, actors who are willing to really commit to things. Yeah. The, and then, like, the fight scene on the train actually looks really cool apart from a couple of things. I think the effects on the bad guys are a bit... Blah. Yes, but um, I, I like the train sequence as well. But it's interesting, and it gets to you get to really see everybody's powers in detail, like using them in a fight and using them in multiple ways. Um, and there's only a certain number of X Men in that fight, so you get to watch everybody do it. So you get to watch Beast do cool, like slow flips over people, and Storm gets to blow people away and lightning strike people and all sorts of things Mm and so it's it's and kurt gets to do a bunch of stuff and when kurt really goes into his full battle mode that's really fun to watch yep so i liked that i'm gonna go through my notes and as we pointed out in that train battle the uh the security guards have mcu on the sides of their uniforms (laughs) they do which i assume means mutant containment unit or something similar but absolutely um it was still funny yeah i I wrote a few of mcavoy's lines down because i liked them um well I mean, yeah, because uh, I think when Beast comes in for the first time, he says, I know what you're thinking. And then um, as quick as a flash, Charles sh- sh- shoots back. That's my trick. Yeah. Which is a good line. But when he first picks up Jean, he gives her a pen and he's like, it's just a pen. It's what you choose to do with it. Mm. And I thought that was really nice. He has this really, really nice way with kids, yeah. as we've seen from his breakout role in Narnia. Yeah. Um, so he's good at that. Yeah. He really makes that work. Which is in- Interesting then you come back to think of him like Dumbledore mm-hmm. in that he's really good with them when they're kids and then struggles when they're adults. I don't know if that's so much Dumbledore. Dumbledore doesn't – I feel like Dumbledore doesn't see himself the same way Charles sees no, himself. No, they don't, but um, they both have like a knack, like they're natural teachers, mm. which makes them really, really good at some parts of their job and not so good at other parts of it. True. I think the problem with Dumbledore is the casting was always off. Well, but, that too. Whereas this is brilliant casting. James McAvoy is excellent. Yeah, on both counts. And he, he, yeah, he, and he is really well able to play the full spectrum of Charles, the mm. the Charles who is a wonderful teacher and great in the room with an eight year old, a poor eight year old who's been abandoned, and has powers and is very, very much alone. And then he's also really great when he's kind of confronted with some of the results, of, the consequences of his actions later on, and he can't cope with that. Yeah, I also like um, – I'd love to see these movies in sort of a, like one after the other at some point to watch mm. his progression in them because this movie he felt the closest to the Patrick Stewart yeah. saviour. Yep. Like in the original in, – in First Class, he was very purposefully different. And then in this one, there's some lines um, that he says 
one of which was when Jennifer Lawrence is confronting him and she's asked what you're doing and he says, keeping us safe. That's very Patrick Stewart mm. that I could just hear coming out of Patrick Stewart's mouth in like a Star Trek episode or something, mm-hmm. you know? And like he has certain sort of expressions and things that are much more like Patrick Stewart mm. that I thought were really cool. Like it looks like he really is aging with this character in spite of the fact, as we talked about in the car, that this is supposed to have happened 30 years after first class. 30 years. They expect us to believe that that James McAvoy's Charles Xavier and Michael Fassbender's Eric Lencher are now 30 years older than they were in first class. Mm. And in eight years, they're going to somehow magically turn into Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen because the first X-Men movie came out in 2000. Yeah. Yep. What timeline is this? Now, X-Men First Class is now a eight-year-old movie. It came out in 2011. So they have aged a little bit, you know, by nature, but they have not aged 30 years. In eight years? No. No, somehow they have I not. don't think they have. And like, okay, fair enough. Mystique doesn't age the same way as them. But Beast was introduced as Kelsey Grammer. No, yeah, later. No. So in eight years, Nicholas Holt, hot, tall, amazing in this part, is going to turn into Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer did a really good job as Beast too. Um, but we're looking at like he was – I'm sure he was introduced in like the 70s in these movies continue, like yeah. timeline, which means he's now supposed to be 20 years older than when he was introduced. When did we introduce Sophie Turner as Jean? Ty Sheridan was introduced a while back, surely. Like, Yeah, the- I think they came in not first class but the one after, maybe Days of Future Past. Maybe? I have to look at the actual timeline of these because I'm – what have we got? We've got first class. Yeah, Nicholas Holt came in in Days of Future Past. Okay. And Days of Future Past, I feel like, was set in the 70s. I believe so, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, 70s Wolverine, of course. Oh, how could I forget? Yeah, right? When he was like, And yeah. that really tried to put you in the 70s too. This movie seems to be hiding the fact that it's set in 1992 as much as possible. Yeah. Like there's no references in this film to when it's set. Except for the the thing that comes up on the um on the screen but yes yeah and yeah but yeah. like they, they don't they're not trying hard with the costumes to make it look mm. like 1992 mm. they're not playing music from 1992 they're not making no. you feel like you're in 1992 the way that they did with some of the other ones yeah sophie turner only came in in x-men apocalypse okay and ty sheridan so as well. she's only aged like 10 years because i'm sure that one was set in like the 80s i think yep it is and and ty <laughs> sheridan as well who's just awful as scott Oh my god! So let's let's look at this. So each one is set; they're all set about ten years apart, right? Uh huh. 1973 is when Days of Future Past is. So Days of Future Past is about ten years after First Class. Yep. And that's when we got Beast for the first time, among others. Yep. So they've all aged twenty years since then. Yeah. And then I I specifically remember like um, Storms mohawk yeah i remember in in apocalypse which is set in probably the around 80s. 1983 yep. i would guess I, i'm thinking I there's guess. about 10 years yeah. between them so that means that Jean is supposed to be 10 years older than she was then i'm pretty sure cody smith mcphee was also introduced sometime he was, around in that, then. he was also in that movie yep all of these people are supposed to be 10 years older than they were in the last film that we saw them in hmm. 10 years older do any of them seem 10 years older to you? Does Ty Sheridan seem like a, an adult who is 10 years older than he was in, <laughs> like? No, but as just as I just mentioned, Ty Sheridan is awful. All I oh, yeah. think about, I was watching these movies and I was like, 
Firstly, I was like, he's got the same mouth as Ansel Elgort because that was all I could focus on was his mouth because he's got his eyes covered up, but he just was not good. Yeah, he – this is going to sound weird, but Ansel Elgort has a much wishy-washier mouth than Ty Sheridan does. Like he doesn't – I don't know. He doesn't enunciate the same way. No, but, but anyway, they both got similar. mouths that drive me nuts. But also they're both not very talented yeah. and like definitely not talented enough so that if you cover up their eye, like Ty Sheridan's eyes, he's going to give a performance that's in any way convincing, oh. especially with the, having no chemistry at all with Sophie Turner. Yeah, no. So he does nothing to elevate her performance, which like as we said, she's not a bad actor, but she's not as good as a lot of the other people in this movie and she doesn't have the same level of screen presence as they do. So when we go – all the best bits of this movie – like there's a scene relatively early on where with um, Charles and Raven and Beast and we went back to Sophie Turner and uh, Scott and I was like, oh, like I actually fe- physically felt my body get less excited by mm. the fact that we were going back to the character about whom this movie is made. <laughs> yeah. Like I was much more – and I was so much happier. Like when um, Nick Holt takes off to go and find Magneto, I'm like, yes, we're bringing these two together. Like any yeah, of those main th- four, when they were on screen, I was so much happier than when it was other people on screen. But at the same time, well, uh, yeah, you say that, but then when Nicholas Hult was taking off to go and find Magneto, I was like, oh, God, because, like, I knew that they were both in love with Raven, and that was going to be what brought them together, and he was going to tell her that she'd tell him that she'd killed Raven, because Jean doesn't tell him that. No, no. Anyway. Which is part of the reason they end up the way they do, because he's like, whose blood is that? Yeah, it's um, it's actually it was all very Macbeth. She's like got blood on her shirt and she's trying to rub it out, and yeah. then he's like, "Whose blood is that?" Anyway, uh, um, this one also, this movie focused a lot on the blue X Men. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> um, there's a lot of blue X Men in this. I noticed. Um, I also noticed that. Well, um, I mean, the thing is, a lot of them do have blue. Like, I feel like there's like a discount on blue makeup, and so they just make a whole bunch of them blue face. I don't know why the X Men is just. There's a lot of blue characters in it. I think in in continuity, Nightcrawler is supposed to be Mystique's son. Right. But, yeah. Which, like, 30 years have passed. There is, in fact, enough time for that to have happened. Yeah. There's, um, I have two notes that are one right after the other from when uh, Jean gets the Phoenix Force in her, which is – the first one is, she's breathing hard for someone in the vacuum of space. And the second <laughs> one is, she's screaming hard for someone in the vacuum of space. <laughs> They had her heavy breathing over the score in the credits as well. Yeah. It drove me nuts. Very un- it very was like, icky. Um, yeah, it was really unpleasant. There's <laughs> a point at which um, Charles says, no more class for the day. And I was like, the teachers might have plans. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know what? I felt something beside me when th- they said that. I felt you kind of recoil in your seat. And I was like, oh, this is inaccurate teaching moment again, isn't it? <laughs> But, yeah, I know. I, I felt you in the seat beside me. I felt that you were mad like, that's it. What that if scene. they have plans that they have to do today? What if they're going on an excursion or something? Like, come on. Yeah. You know, you can't just cancel school for everybody. You can't just do that without consulting the teachers unless, the, you know, something. Well, Beast stole the ex-jets. So no one's going on an excursion anytime soon. I think they can go on excursions in other ways. <laughs> There's, um, <laughs> I wrote that the ex-women line was super clunky. Oh, yes, yes. And it's that kind of. A man wrote this to pay lip service to yep. strong women thing yep. that is the same as in Endgame. Yep. That's really gross. Yeah, I, I, that's, I was talking about that before. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a terrible line. I did like the line that Beast has when – again, I feel like Nicholas Holtz is doing some uh, – attempting some character work, but he 
when Jean goes, what does that mean about her being off the charts? He goes, we'll have to build a better machine. Oh, like, I that's know. what his brain goes That was to. so clunky too. Um, last of the first class, another clunky line. Oh, big time. There were some shots that I liked. Overall, it wasn't particularly well shot and didn't make them nope. look super cool. But there's a thing that where they – do unsettling steady cam on the back of Jessica Chastain's head as she's going to meet her friends that yep. was good. Um, yeah, they actually did some decent stuff there and, I mean, helped along by the fact that even though she was completely underused, Jessica Chastain is still a really good actress. Yeah. <laughs> when Jean accidentally killed Raven as well, like, she's super powerful at this point and instead of doing anything to try and help, she just nopes away into the sky. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I was like, you could help, dude. Like, I've seen comic book movies in which characters survive an impaling like that. Like, guys. Especially with, like, a super-powered person who can Right just heal beside them, them who has, apparently, healing powers. Yeah. The unlimited powers, because it's not like the film actually explores what her powers could or could not be. Yeah, also I like how they uh, blame Jean for undoing everything that they've built over the last few uh-huh. years in terms of ex- uh, in terms of mutant uh, acceptance and recommend and representation mm-hmm. um and like yeah that i wrote the the girl who everybody's abandons i wrote raven literally didn't abandon her but go off i guess yeah we yeah. talked about that why is the solution to the gun didn't work always shoot it with a bigger gun oh god which then eric does later yep. he's like i'll shoot all the guns at you and i'm like dude it didn't work before why is it gonna work now because it looks cool because eric eric manipulating all the guns behind him looks cool that's why he would probably be better off like throwing them at her in her path to slow her down like she's walking more around effect. she's walking around in high heels put a bunch of stuff in the path she at one point she just runs. make her walk somewhere for a long time yeah no, at one she runs at Jean like so the shot is literally she's walking towards Jean as, just after Jean's Thanos away all of her uh the other aliens right and you watch her feet like wobble all over these rocks and gravel and then the next shot is like her face as she runs towards Jean I and I was that. like this is the most unbelievable thing in this whole scene it's, it's not th- there's t- I, there's actually another scene as well when they're, we're in there in the New York house where she walks towards Jean and we see her feet and you're like She's barely able to walk in those shoes. Yeah. They are so high and so ridiculous. Yeah. And then and you, yeah, you re- literally, all you would have to do is put her on a cobblestone street. Yes, exactly. It's a great weakness. Cobblestones <laughs> are her weakness. She's literally walking towards her. Like, the, the, just watching her in the shot, trying to, like, maintain all this composure from, like, the waist up. And her legs are, like, wobbling yeah. all over the place because she's being forced to walk through rocks and gravel in, in like, stupid heels. It's, it's um, the Jurassic World problem writ yeah. large of, like, some costume designer somewhere has gone, yeah, this looks amazing. And the director's gone, yeah, those heels are killer. And they haven't actually thought that, like, a real person has to walk somewhere in those. And then there's this bit um, as well in, during that scene where Jessica Chastain's like, your emotions make you weak. And I was like, no, they make me strong. And then that's, that's literally what she said. <laughs> that's what like, Sansa said, yeah. Where have I heard that before? Like, mm. It's so, so on the nose and so cheesy and also not what the movie's about. No, it's not her emotions. And, and this is the other thing, like, you could do Jean Grey's story so much more justice if you actually tied it into, like, the, her struggle, struggles with mental health mm. and dealing with trauma and recovering from trauma and all that kind of stuff, which, again, it kind of touches on a little bit. You can sort of see it happen a little bit. You can sort of see how, you know, she learns some basic things like about learning her, her own triggers and stuff like that. But, nope, they don't even think about that as a no. possible solution. Yeah, and it ends with um, 
It ends with Charles and Eric not making out, but playing chess, which is their version of having sex. So I suppose I can forgive it for that one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, Charles is in a very tight shirt and nice watch. So it's very pretty. <laughs> it is, but uh, yeah, Eric shows up. And, and he's all... allegedly retired. It's now the Jean Grey School for Mutants. Allegedly retired. And, oh, then, like, and which yes. just completely ruins all the continuity of a whole bunch of later movies if it's well, the, the Jean Grey School. The later movies don't exist in this timeline, yeah, though, yeah, okay. which is fine. Um, Nor does Deadpool, I understand. I don't know if Deadpool exists in the same continuity. You'd question. I have to assume it doesn't. Yeah. But it, we did although, have that shot of in Deadpool 2 of everybody at the school. Yeah, and they used the collars from Deadpool 2 to um, restrain the X-Men in this movie. Yeah, the collars were introduced in Deadpool 2, which I assumed was something that came out of the Peter Dinklage, like, controlling mutant yeah. stuff that happened in Days um, of Future Past, Days of Future Past yeah. in the 70s. Like, that felt like a natural kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, it made sense. Um, it and just... they used those collars in this, which means they were invented sometime before this, like, because Deadpool is set in the present. Much later, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I still think one of the best X-Men things is that two-second cameo in Deadpool 2 where they're all, like, hiding in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's just got all these famous people just standing around. Yeah. Amazing. But, yeah, um... Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. I don't yeah. know. I, you, we were going to oh, know yeah. Charles being retired at forty. <laughs> well, who in eight years he's going to be like sixty-five? Yeah, but that's clearly some sort of time distortion thing because I do not buy Charles and Eric in this movie as any older than maybe forty-five. If you're pushing, no, no, it. no, and and yeah, and they're supposed to be sixty in eight years. It's no <laughs> sixty and Patrick Stewart. Yeah. That, um, well, I mean, actually, I kind of believe James McAvoy turning into Ma- Patrick Stewart. Just, just not, not in eight, in eight years. years. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. They're well, clearly... Patrick Stewart between 1992 and 2000, like, he looks largely the same. Patrick Stewart? Yeah. Yeah, but he's Patrick Stewart. <laughs> he looked older than he was at the time. Yeah, like he, he looked he older than playing... James McAvoy does now when he was 30. Yeah, like... yeah. I mean, I've only, yeah, I only really know what Patrick Stewart looks like from when he was 47 and he started playing Captain Picard. But yes, you are correct. He has always looked old. Yeah, he just now looks really good. Now he's grown into his age. Now he looks really good because he looks pretty similar to what he looked like 40 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Whereas, like, James McAvoy doesn't look like that. He no. doesn't look like he could be 60 in no. eight years. No. He barely looks like he's 35. The, yeah, the fact that nobody ages in these movies is mm. clearly a major problem because it's so confusing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to know what this plot hole is. Oh, you, you just Googled something and a plot hole came up. There's so many plot holes. This is the X-Men franchise. You'll have to be more specific. So apparently in Days of Future Past, we see Jean Grey in the present – but that's in this timeline, so then they f- that up too. Uh, yep. I mean, that that you have to throw the timeline out the window to make this thing work. Yeah. So they're you happy have ending to. because Mystique is in no. the next movies. No. That, but yeah. But see, you can throw out the. There's no problem with throwing out the like original Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart X Men movies from Days of Future Past onwards, right? Yeah. If they changed the timeline, they changed the continuity, yeah. there's no problem with that. But the ending of Days of Future Past actually shows Jean Grey in the present being all happy and stuff. Yeah. So that's where the, Big the continuity problem happens. Because you can convincingly go, well, Wolverine travelled back in time to 1973 and changed the future. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Mystique can be dead and all that sort of stuff. But then it doesn't make any sense for Jean to be in that ending scene. Nope. Unless she comes back at some point. Yeah. 
and okay. like reforms her body. And then when she reforms her body, she's like, mm, I don't like the whole Sophie Turner face thing. I think I'm going to look like Famke Janssen instead. Fair enough. Um, okay. So, yeah. Is there anything more you want to say about this movie? Because I'm Ooh, done. There isn't. I'm done too. Um, yeah. So, ratings. Mm-hmm. I guess two and a half stars. Yep. That's where I'm going. Two and a half stars. An adequate movie. Middling. A middling movie. It is in the middle exactly. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like show notes or old episodes, you can find them on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.